Jiva Theatre Center in Rochester, New York, this is Out of the Rehearsal Hall. It's the third season of the podcast, and we're back to celebrate courageous storytelling and our own power to make change and to shape a better world for us all. Our guests this season are artists, scholars, and curators of content from around the country, and right here in Rochester, the ancestral and occupied territory of the Onondawaga, or as we say in English, the Seneca people. My name is Jenny Werner, and I'm Jiva's literary director and resident dramaturg. Each episode, I'll be joined by a guest co-host from the Jiva staff for an evocative conversation out of the rehearsal hall. Thank you for calling the Jiva Theater Center box office. My name is Ian. How can I help you? Today's co-host is Jiva's company manager, Angela Giuseppetti. Angela, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast. Hey, happy to be back. Yeah. The last time you co-hosted was almost a year ago, I think. Um, and your job your job has been very different over this past year. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what's been keeping you busy? Sure. Uh, well, as you know, we shut down in March. So we had a lot of our guest artists and not every single one of them depart. Uh, so our apartments were pretty empty. And we decided, Jen and I did the director of production, that we were going to rent out units to non-artists to kind of keep them occupied and also so that we can try to make just a little bit of money in the downtime to maintain them. So we ended up working with the Staybridge Suite, which is actually where my mother works as the director of sales. And she sent us several um, doctors that were doing residencies in Rochester for three month stints, as well as an RIT professor. So when there were not artists in-house, we did have a couple doctors a professor. And then we also were able to host the Finger Lakes Opera, which was really exciting because we've never worked with them that closely before. So being able to assist another arts organization during this time was really great. And we're actually going to have them back this coming summer when they do their summer program. So this past year, we've been kind of developing new relationships, maintaining the apartments, and finding ways to kind of stay connected with other arts organizations in Rochester. Great. Uh, and what keeps you energized with all of this? I mean, keeping all of the apartments going and looking for new tenants. And I think we do still have an actor in our housing right now. What keeps you going with all of this? Usually you have, you know, theater shows to be energized and excited about. What What in this time is keeping you moving? I will say that I have been having a really difficult time because I think with company management, you go from being on all the time to then having nobody around. So my entire job kind of evaporated overnight. So I would say that what's been keeping me energized is just taking things day by day. So normally I would be, my entire life is looking weeks ahead of time. It's looking at flights that are coming up in a month. It's looking at contracts that are coming up in two months. And so kind of having to reverse engineer my brain and say, what am I just going to do today? What thing am I going to try to accomplish to be productive, to do something for the theater, to kind of stay mentally healthy? So I would kind of divvy up the apartments because I've also been cleaning the apartments since we can't have uh, our normal cleaning staff in. So, you know, I may wake up one day and be like, okay, 101 still needs to get flipped. I'm going to go over there, clean it. I'm going to listen to a couple of really great podcasts or a book on tape and take that time to just kind of work through something. Um, I would say too, just finding small moments throughout my day that are really lovely, like being able to cook dinner with my boyfriend, who at the time when everything was shut down, he works at a restaurant. So being able to kind of reconnect that relationship even more since we have opposite schedules kept me motivated. And just trying to remain as patient as humanly possible, because I yeah. think that it's the only thing that we really can do right now. It's so true. It's so true. And I think, you know, what you're saying about taking things one day at a time is so critical and, and looking mm -hmm. for inspiration, right? I mean, it sounds like you're looking for inspiration in many places, um, Absolutely. So really... And like, I don't know, just getting to take some personal time to listen. I don't really listen to podcasts because I'm always talking with people. So having kind of alone time, <laughs> alone time in the apartments, listening to things, that's been really uh, different, but good. And yeah, I, I would absolutely say that 
the further you look out right now with the pandemic, I think it becomes really daunting and scary. So again, trying to take it, take it more in like a day by day breath. Funnily, yeah. <laughs> funny thing, I actually found this random piece of paper this morning, which was from a salsa instructor. And it says, if you find yourself falling over, bend your knees. If you find yourself falling over, bend your knees. Yeah, I think that I, serendipitously, that is a perfect quote for that. Yeah. Say more about that. What makes that What makes that a perfect quote? I think it is a perfect quote because right now as a country and a world, we found ourselves falling over. We were unable to control what was going on. And so the only thing that you can do in that moment, because you know you're going to hit the ground, is try to take it as easy as possible. So give yourself a little bit of care and love and adjust and bend a little bit so that it doesn't hurt so bad when you hit the floor. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I'm excited about our guest today. So let's go ahead and introduce him. Christopher Rivas is an award-winning storyteller, a Rothschild Social Impact Fellow, an essayist, and a social commentator with pieces in the New York Times, Zocalo, Swipe Life, and Level. Christopher is also a filmmaker, a podcast host, and a PhD candidate in expressive arts for global health. His mission is to share stories that disrupt what is and create space for what could be. And he wrote and performs The Real James Bond Was Dominican. Let's go ahead and call Christopher. Let's do it. Are you looking at the matinee or the evening performance? Christopher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I know uh, you've been performing forever. You've been performing since you were in <laughs> elementary school, right? Yeah. Long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> what got you into performing? I think it, I think it was uh, just... I think I fell in love early on with the idea that like, it's kind of, it feels kind of sad, but you know, like people looked at performers, you know, and I think uh -huh. as a young kid, I, I, I was small. I was like four foot 10 until I entered high school, you know? So I was like really tiny. Um, and, and, and I felt like I sort of the class clownness, the, the be funny, the, the, the be large was a way of, of, of me fitting in, you know? Uh, luckily, it evolved uh, tremendously <laughs> <laughs> and got a little more heart in it. But but I think that's that's what did it for me. You know, I always tell the story about seeing John Leguizamo's Freak on Broadway and just realizing, like, I was like, oh, there's a guy who looks like me, sounds like me, from Queens like me. Um, you know, and, and people are, look at all these people, like, listening they're not just enjoying, they're listening, you know, they're taking him in. And I was like, oh, I think I can do that. You know, I can share my story. So, yeah. That's so great. And what did you perform in when you first, when you got that first chance? That's a good question. I mean, I did, I think I did all the school stuff, you know, like I think I did all the school things. Um, I think, you know, I think high school was my big, like first time, performing performing i went to a special arts like performing arts high school in new york um and you had to audition to get into it and uh i had done all these like you know junior high or elementary school plays or talent shows and things like that uh but that's when i started to really get into it i remember re that summer before auditioning just just reading plays on plays on plays and, and i don't think i'd done that in my life, you know, I saw a couple plays, like I saw some Broadway, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Les Mis. Uh -huh. I, was in, I was into it, you know, it was really great. I knew I couldn't sing like that. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't think it was until high school, you know, and being in this place and being in a performing arts high school, you know, um, that I that I really also got the juice. And then the other moment besides John Leguizamo that set me off was I saw a production of Medea at BAM when I was in, when I was 15 and uh, spoiler alert, when Medea <laughs> picks up her in this production, Medea picks up her children and smashes them against this glass wall. And I don't know how they did it, but I believed it, mm. you know? And, and, and I was like, if this can do that, I want to be a part of it. Mm. 
Yeah, you had a yeah. wonder moment, a moment of just like, I need to be a part of this magic trick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to be a part of this magic trick. I was having this conversation not too long ago, and a woman who was at the conversation, I don't know where we were, she was like, I saw that production. <laughs> She's like, it was amazing. I was like, it was amazing. It's the best. And I've seen so many Medea since because it's kind of special to me because I'm always like, ooh, what are they going to do? Yeah. You know, none of them have have done that for me. Uh, that's fantastic to have that moment of wonder. That's really, that's really great. And, and what is it that keeps you invested in theater then? Is it that sort of searching for, for that next great um, production, that next great sort of feeling? What, what is it that keeps you uh, interested in performing? I think that's the irony of me sort of, you know, of, of this time and I'm coming to do this show and we're doing it online, you know, but it's like what keeps me invested in theater uh, because, you know, I do my fair share of like screen stuff uh, is, is that relationship, you know, that conversation after a show, that shared energy, um, that, that noise of a, of a house filled with audience members. Mm. You know, like it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's an experience that can't be duplicated, you know, and it can't, um, and it is precious and it is unique. Uh, and I think that's what keeps me invested. Like I fell in love with it. I, I know that I've had more moments in a theater being like, yes, I'm so glad I'm a part of this. Yes. I want to make magic like this, uh, that I'll always be a part of it, you know? I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, I know because we're kind of leading into it, but with what do you find is the difference between calling yourself a storyteller versus when you would maybe say, I'm an actor in this show? Where is the line between those two parts of sharing a story or creating an experience for people? Yeah, I feel like when I was, and maybe I still do this, but you know, when I was younger, when I was a younger artist that did a lot of reaching, like I was, I was, because, because I think at some, we're told to define ourselves pretty early on. Like you do this, you do this, you do this. So if I was writing poetry, I was like, man, am I a poet? If I was acting, am I, am I an actor? You know, if like, I want to write a play, you know, like, and, you know, I'm a playwright, like, you know, and I found myself doing all these things and, and causing turmoil in me because they felt contradictory and, mm -hmm. and, you know, some great artists say do one thing and do it really well and focus on that. And the Jack of all trades is the master of none. And, and, and then one day this world of storytelling entered my life you know, I competed in like a true personal storytelling competition. And, and I, and I was, I was like, this is it. This is the funnel that contains it all. If I'm acting, I'm facilitating story. If I'm writing, I'm facilitating story. If I'm telling a story, if I'm listening to stories, you know, I'm, I believe I'm here to uh, facilitate story. Um, and you were able to yeah. find that through line in that specific practice of it. Yeah. In, in the practice of like, you know, the, the personal storytelling and, uh, the moth type things. Um, and, and, and everything, then my essay work started to sort of take off and everything just started to take off. Once I realized I'm here to facilitate story, I'm here to tell stories. I'm here to share stories. I'm here to make spaces where people can share stories and meet their own stories. Um, I think that's another thing I enjoy about theater. It's, it's an opportunity not just to give someone something, but to make space for something new. Like I tell people, I teach these storytelling shops and i say like uh you know or essay writing and i say that this is everything is a tiny universe so when i tell a story i'm taking my little universe and i'm and i'm sharing and giving it to your little universe and together maybe we make a third universe mm. you know and if we can make those third universes um more frequently i think we would uh we would come together more than we would come apart I love that idea, that visualization of making these little universes that join us all together. It's, it's wild though, right? Like I, yeah. I always think about, I'm, I'm always thinking about every, every person on this planet 
has their own universe. Like they're the, they're the lead of their universe. They're the most important thing and their suffering is real, you know, like, and their joy is real and their, their, their hunger is real. And like, that's their own, that's their own thing. You know, I did a road trip during this pandemic, you know, I did like, uh, six States, 11 national parks. And, and, and I was like, man, all these people are having their own incredible or whatever experience. You know, like, and there's so many of us. So how can we create more opportunities for, for this experience and this experience to, to make a new one? Um, or for somebody to see their own experiences kind of reflected back on stage. I keep thinking about what you said with stand-up and how stand-up and sometimes storytelling are these very similar universes of this is who I am at my most raw self and this is how I'm experiencing the world. And the audience that is watching that experience is either able to say, I'm laughing because I understand, or I'm laughing because I don't. And in those moments, you're creating that shared universe, that shared experience that we're talking about, which is different mm -hmm. than perhaps you going out and portraying somebody else in a different story that's not your own. Mm -hmm. I want to know more about this road trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did, what did we do? We did Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Washington State, Oregon, and then back to California. Um, and it was, it was, it was epic. You know, I've never done the road trip. Um, I've done long drives, but I've never done the, the, the trip. Uh, and it was, you know, this, 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 this country is beautiful yes. and there are a lot of things that aren't beautiful about it, you know, but, but the mother earth or Gaia or whatever you want to call it is, is beautiful. Like, and, and that was the thing I hadn't, had known it, but I hadn't given it its due place because I'd been so obsessed with, you know, Europe and this and that, and let me, let me travel, let me travel. Um, but now I had an opportunity to see this place and this place is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think you would have had the opportunity to do that if the pandemic hadn't happened? I don't think so. You know, I think maybe, maybe years from now, you know, I had a lot of things on my plate right before the pandemic that were not on my plate anymore. Um, and, and I had time, you know, I think we all got a gift of time, you know, many of us, uh, assuming, you know, we weren't suffering in other ways. And, um, but I had time and time to just like, be still a little bit, even, you know, still in the sense of <laughs> lots of driving, but still, still. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. And was that, that feeling of this is a really beautiful country, kind of the main thing that you walked away from that road trip with? Yes. I mean that, and I have a, you know, I don't even know where to begin. Like maybe one day I'll, I'll do something with my art with it. I think it's above my pay grade. Like maybe it's not, but I just think climate stuff is real. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, I have a friend who makes documentaries about the redwoods and he's, he, he gets mad at himself because he says like, you can't fall in love with this place unless you're here. I can show you all the documentaries in the world. I can tell you that there's only 4% of redwoods left. I can tell you how the redwood is the most important tree, you know, for planet, like, uh, for the planet right now for sucking up carbon. I can tell you all of this stuff, but unless you're here and you feel it, you know, you, and, and, and I think I got to really feel it, yeah. you know, uh, and it, you know, when you go to a national park, you're like, wow, industry and creation is so amazing and humans were cool. But like this whole planet was this. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've given right. it this much space, but this whole planet was this. You know, yeah. and then we built and then, you know, like you get on a plane, and you're landing and you're like, whoa, look yeah. what we did. Also amazing. Also miraculous. You know, but I but I think. That's what I walked away with. I was like, how can I continue to at least have the conversation um, around around this 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 planet? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think I think scientists actually say that artists are the ones who can compellingly tell the story. You know, I think what that's a common thing that that I've heard. So I think the more 
um, the more stories about the importance of addressing our climate um, to save this beautiful world, the more stories that are out there, the more the the more likely we are to make change. You know, it's funny. You know, it's like I, I've I've tried to, I've been trying to write this essay since I came back. And, and, and maybe it's not one essay because I don't know where to begin because it's so huge. Yeah. You know, Joanna Macy is this, uh, I don't know if you know Joanna Macy. She's this like ecologist, non systems theorist. She's, in, she's incredible. Uh, and you know, she says the first thing you must do is, is feel the climate's grief, mm. you know, like don't try and fix it, feel it, feel how vast it is, feel how large it is. You know, it is big, not to name any names, but I have like, I have like a friend who works in media and they work at a CNN and, uh, he said, we have the numbers to show that when I said, why don't you talk more about climate stuff? And they said, well, when we put climate stuff on people change the channel, Oh, it's too sad. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you know, like we have not been. It, it feels overwhelming. It feels overwhelming. And, and so I, it feels overwhelming for me as an artist to be like, where do I begin? Right. Where do yeah. I begin? Do I write a book? I still have Amazon prime. I'm not the best candidate for this. <laughs> like... <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I yeah. love two day shipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is a huge evil. Of course. Yeah. I feel like it's uh, when I think about how we're going to get people to activate and engage with this environment, it's almost, this is me being a pessimist, it's sometimes a lost cause for certain people who are never really going to get it. They've been there, they've seen Yosemite, they're like, great, I understand what's going on here. And it's almost the people that come after them, maybe their kids, maybe younger people that they know to place those humans in that space and have them connect with it. Because I think there's also this missing part of growing up right now where you're needing to be more out in the world so that you can experience it and therefore find value in it. Because if you don't find value in something, you're not going to fight for it and you're not going to try to convince other people that is valuable. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's why that road trip was so critical that you took, Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that it'll even make sense to me yet. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's a, that's a theater thing I take from a great director. She passed away, uh, you know, car rest her soul, Lori Carlos and Lori was, you know, Lori. Yes. yes. Yeah. She Lori was, was amazing. she was, she was a queen. Yes. Um, she's a queen. And, and Lori said to me, it's not your job to figure it out. She said, it's your, go, it's your job to go out there and do the work. And maybe six years from now, when you're carrying the groceries, it'll hit you in the head. Mm. You know, and, and I believe that, and it's hard to practice, but I believe it because I have evidence of that more than I do of me trying to like, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to figure it out. Like I went on this road trip. I care about the climate. Let me create something that's going to fix it. All. Right, like, right. Like I probably won't know what that road trip meant to me, what climate grief means to me until, until it means something, you know, until it, until it becomes what it's supposed to become. Yeah. Yeah. What are the stories right now that you are telling that you're understanding that you know how that you you know how to interact with right now? I'm really fascinated by so I made this like film for the times where I'm getting a haircut It's called like calm your curls. Yes. Um, and I talk about while I'm getting a haircut, you hear my inner dialogue of me, you know, navigating what it means to be in Hollywood and have curly hair. Um, and that kind of, it did really well, but it also like got me interested in the idea of what are simple acts that mean, that can mean so much more, mm. a haircut. So I made a film recently, it's not released, but it will be soon, um, which is just me going on a jog and sort of the inner dialogue of, you know, due to Ahmaud Arbery and this year and, and, you know, what it means to be as a body of, like, can the body of color ever hit a runner's high? if it always has to be focused looking left and right. Um, so what are simple acts like that? And I guess, you know, what else am I interested in? I'm making another film that's similar style uh, about student loan crisis. You know, um, I think that's a tragedy. 
uh, I think that has allowed some of the best artists specifically to not be artists. And that's a tragedy. Um, because an artist needs time to create, to ponder, to feel. And if they're stuck having to work seven jobs a week, there is no time for them. You know, so I do believe the student loan crisis is like the death of the artist, um, in a way. Uh, so student loan stuff, planet stuff, obviously. Um, so I, um, I feel yeah. like that we're we're seeing a trend. You're gonna save the world and the art, like the art world and the world writ large through storytelling. I mean, there's so <laughs> there's so much like that we need to, you know, you're. You're you're pointing at um, issues through a really sort of like a, approaching them from an emotional kind of place. It feels like to me. Is that a, a fair thing to say? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can exist. Like I don't think I can create an emotion. You know, everything to me has. I say this all the time, like, I don't think it's my job to write. I think it's my job to be moved and then to ask, why has this moved me? Mm. You know, um, and then to hopefully make spaces where others can have movement. I think movement is really important. Um, not movement that's self-imposed, but movement that's been inspired, movement that's been cracked open, like, uh, I don't have to search for things to make or create. I can just be curious and I can just be open. And that requires a level of being emotionally available to the world, to being hurt, to being angry, um, to being, you know, desirous, to being all of that and saying, you know, why is this moving me in this way? Why does this make my blood boil? Um, why do I think this is boring? you know like all of that so yeah emotions are high <laughs> i guess this leads me into my next question which is we're all super excited that you are coming to do the real james bond with dominican here in rochester and what inspired you what emotions or drive made you want to tell this story and create this presentation of yourself and yeah uh I mean, it's in the piece, like it's pretty transparent. Like I got this article while I was in college, you know, I was, I was one of two people of color in my class, um, in my acting class. And I got this article about this Dominican guy who James Bond was based on and I'm Dominican. Uh, and my father's obviously, you know, Dominican and, and I was just, and I loved James Bond as a kid and it just kind of like shattered my world. And I didn't understand how this Vanity Fair article wasn't the most viral thing on the internet. Like, I didn't understand why people weren't as obsessed, you know, like I couldn't sleep that night. Um, and I, and I said, I knew I, I, this is something right. Be moved. Right. This was something. And I didn't know what it was going to be. God, the horrible iterations of this play, you know, as I tried to figure out what this was going to be, were so, they were so bad. Um, <laughs> really horrendous and and big shout out to so many people who sat and listened to me tell like listen to bad plays <laughs> so all of you out there thank you so much um and then yeah that was like i was 2014 uh i don't think we premiered until 2018 or 2019 uh because everything takes much longer than you imagine in this world sure. <laughs> uh but yeah, that's the, that's sort of the emotional drive was I had to ask myself, what, how would my life have been different had I had someone on that screen who looked like me? Again, kind of circling back to one of our first topics, which is like representation and seeing yourself in somebody that is performing or telling a story or creating art. Yeah, seeing, you know, and I, I steal this, this was something that was said to me. Uh, after like we did a real James Bond in New York in the city and um, this kid from Pace, young acting student, uh, Pakistani kid came up to me and he said, uh, 
you know, I always thought I needed heroes who look like me, but I really just needed people, mm. sort of regular people like you speaking their truth. And I think we got into the obsession that we needed like stars and this. We just need normal. We need when Harry's met Sally's and we just need them to be brown and orange and red. And, you know, like we just need them to be all the colors, but we just need them to like exist. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they are existing. <laughs> yeah. And so to see that reflection, it's to, to see yourself reflected in someone else, hero or not, is critical. Yeah. Critical. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know when we'll, we probably have done the research, but, but I imagine it'll be far from now, you know, as, as the world way past our time, you know, like, I think we're having a reverse Pangea taking place, right? Like where everyone's becoming some sort of brown, so <laughs> like eventually that's, what's going to take place yeah. way beyond our lifetime, you know, and then they will do, you know, if I'm around, I'm curious to see the the science around, you know, like not seeing yourself, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you get this article, this Vanity Fair article in 2010, did you say? Uh, 2014. 2014. You get this yeah. Vanity Fair article in 2014. And um, 2018, you're doing a, a play. You're performing a play. What is that process between in those four years? Um, what was it like to turn it to go from those bad versions of the play into what we see now? Yeah. You know, what you see now is like... You know, here's my also like little pitch for the show that we're doing at Chiva. It's 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 unique. It's not the recorded version of the live play. Yeah. I that was something I refused to do. I was like, that's not happening. Um, we have that. We can just put it online every night. Like uh, that's not what I wanted to do. So I think what's special about this place, this play, but also what I think is sort of what I enjoy as an artist is is living, breathing things things that aren't fixed in time, things that aren't like, I might have different thoughts. <laughs> I'm a different person. Right. I've, you know, things have happened. Like I, I might not stand behind what I once said, you know, so it's a living, breathing thing um, that I'm bringing to Jiva, um, which is exciting for me, maybe for others, but for yeah. me it is. Yeah. Uh, and so what's that process of 2014 to 2018? You know, it's a lot of bad plays and it's linking up with Daniel, who, you know, um, Daniel Banks, the director, Daniel Banks, the director and helped me, you know, create the piece and uh, really helped me turn the, 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 the bad stuff or, you know, just the, the stuff uh, into something that was focused, um, you know, helped ask a lot of the right questions, which yeah. was what I think a, dramaturg, friend director, you know, whatever position is supposed to do, help you ask questions that you can't see because you're in it too much. So yeah, Daniel came on board. I can't tell you when, but when he came on board, we really, it was really sort of going somewhere, you know, like that was the moment where I was like, Oh, I think we're going to, we're going to do this. You know, um, besides that, it was just the occasional reading here and there, you know, like, listen to this. What do you think? Nah, nah, nah. Uh, but Daniel, we really sort of took it to his next place. So there, there is a drummer in this show. Yeah. When Wilson. Did, yeah. When did Wilson get like folded into this? Was it from the that's, beginning? Is this like, that's, a, that's all Daniel, you know, that's all Daniel. That's, that's Daniel saying like, can I try this? I love this kid. Uh, I think you're going to love him too. You know, he happens to be Dominican. That's not why you're going to love him. Like he's stupid talented. Um, and he was all of those things. And our, our synchronizing or, or, or uh, symbiotic sort of nature was, was effortless. Uh, he's so talented. Um, you know, I'm actually really excited. He gets his own camera in this, right? Uh, I'm really excited by that because he's doing, he's making magic up there. Like well, he's it's working. It's different too than not put somebody in the pit. So we, we think about theater and how musicians relate to stuff we're seeing on stage. And we're like, most often we're hiding them below the floorboards or putting them off to the side behind some screen. So they're 
obstructed, but by putting this camera just on this musician, we're pulling, I feel like we're pulling him in in such a more important way and like kind of doing this really cool fusion. It makes me think of um, this play, I Am Not Batman by Marco Ramirez, where there's a drummer that kind of does all of these beats throughout the play as this young boy pretends to be Batman and fight crime. And so you have this active percussion that kind of adds to the energy of the show. It adds to the fact that something could go wrong or even better than mm -hmm. you expected, because who knows, you could fling a stick across the stage. You could suddenly knock something over. It just adds to that high energy, which I am really excited to see. You know, music is just so powerful. And I guess the thing about like, even with Wilson, that blows my mind is like, I didn't know drums could do more than just bang, 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 you know, like the subtleties, the new, like, you're just like, I didn't, I didn't know. I was unaware what a master percussionist can, the sounds that can come out of these things, uh, you know, and that's, what's been really fun. And when I talk about living, breathing, I think also, uh, Wilson's and I's relationship on that stage is, is living, breathing, uh, you know, shifting, evolving, the way we play with each other, the interactions. Yeah. The play really kind of walks a line between your personal story and Porfirio Rubirosa. Um, what can you talk a little bit about how you made the decision about how how to walk that line, how much of your own story to tell? I think a lot of that is Daniel too. You know, like uh I think that's me trusting an outside person. Uh, this isn't a bio piece because you can Google it. Like you can Wikipedia, you can, there's, you, it's not a bio piece. I'm not telling you his biography. I'm, I'm telling you how the sort of discovery of a, of a person who existed moved me, made, changed my life, changed what I thought about being a body of color, you know, uh, scared me, warned me, shook me, uh, made me find my voice. Uh, so that's, that's how we, you know, we needed both because I wasn't there to just do a bio pick. But as as you're as you're telling that story and and thinking now about you know it was 2018 when you first started performing this it's been three years since then and a global pandemic um, <laughs> do you think are there things that are different are you you talked about being a different person do you feel like you respond to that story in a different way now than you did three years ago or even in 2014 when you first. Um, read that article i'm sure i do i know i do you know like i can't give you specific moments in, in this conversation you know but i i know that the closer we get to you know the real proof will be in the in the actual letting go and the actual being you know performing the piece and being moved by it right um and and, and then seeing what moves me you know like uh, seeing what's different, you know, or what doesn't feel right in my mouth or in my heart anymore. Um, I know it feels less and this isn't bad. You know, we're, we're doing a shorter version this time around. Um, and that feels nice, you know, like that feels, that feels fun. It feels like I, like I get to, I don't have to make it shorter. I get to, you know, take a scalpel to, to what was once maybe precious or, you know, like just, just, just tighten it up. And, and, um, I think, I think that's possible also because of where I'm at and because of this pandemic and, you know, and, and yeah, I'm sure I'm still learning what it is. I'm saying this iteration, what it is I'm learning from it myself and what it is I'm learning from Ruby uh, that's Ruby Rosa for short, um, because that is something, I don't know if I do it in this, I don't know if I do it in this version, but in the past I used to on the stage, ask Ruby why he visited me, mm. you know, like, what does he actually want me to say to these people? Like, why can't I let him go? Mm. 
and 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 I and I needed to ask that every night because I didn't know. You know, I still didn't know, so I was still trying to solve that. Um, so, so I'm sure I'll get closer this time around. Yeah, that's one of the great things about being a performer who performs your own work has to be that you have a different relationship to the text than um, a playwright who doesn't perform their own work and and other people perform and they there are whole productions that they might not even be aware of. Um, and so your relationship to that text then is so different and so much more intimate, I think. Um, do you have that sense also? And I know, you know, from your performance work, both like, so doing your own work and then performing other, other people's writing, do you have a sense of that, that the different feeling from those two kinds of, of performances? Yeah, I think when performing, you know, the first thing I thought of, to be honest, was like, I hope I also have the courage to be done when I'm done. So maybe that's just the difference, you know, yeah. is the courage to say, like, this story is done. It's, yeah. it's had its time. We did our thing. <laughs> it's time to move on. I've never thought um, about that, where you have the creative license to say, listen, I think that I want this to take some time off or I'm ready for audiences to focus on a different kind of work that I'm trying to do, or maybe my feelings have changed about this story. So now I want the focus on something else and being able to kind of control, I guess you could, I mean, can you control who produces this being the creator? Yeah. It's off the market. I don't want it produced right now. I don't think it's now the time for the story. I want this one instead. You know, I've always loved that, I think, as an artist, but also as a human. Like, I think we all have the right to, like, wake up, smell something and be like, I'm going to change something. Like, or, I don't want this anymore. Like, And and, and that takes courage, I think. And um, it's fine. I just, like, I'm, I got some news today. I'm working on something. And I was just kind of like, I'm so ready to not be working on this anymore. I'm ready to just, like, give it to the world, you know, like move on, you know, and, and that those shifts happen in us. Um, so I think that's the difference with your own work and other people's work, you know, um, your own work, you get to, you get to navigate what it is you're still learning from it or what it's giving you, or, you know, if it, if it still serves in that way, I think it's sharing other people's work, you know, when I love other people's work, um, cause don't get me wrong. I love performing in general and, you know, like I love a good, I'm not the best writer in the world. There's far better writers than me. Um, I think, you know, when I'm doing their work, it's the same thing though, right? It's like me constantly discovering what are they, what are we doing here? What are we saying? You know, deeper, not wider. That's like a thing I always think about in, in art in general is like not width, but depth, like what happens if I keep going under, like just excavating? Or, or just being, or just being satisfied that you feel a piece has come to its natural conclusion for now. It's kind of mm -hmm. when I think about bands who say, no, we're not going to play the single off of our first album anymore. We're done. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to hurt a little bit. It hurts us a little bit. It's the thing that we're really proud of, but I can't do Wonderwall anymore. <laughs> Um, I do. I, well, here's a transition. Uh, so there is an interactive component to your show. How is this going to adjust going forward into the pandemic? Because I know we're still trying to create these kind of bags and things for audiences to feel that same interactiveness. Normally, if you saw this show live, you would have things hidden in space that you would have that you didn't know about. You know, like that's a thing that happens in this show, which I love. Um, so that's still taking place. Uh, how are the interactions happening? You know, I have, we have an unbelievable team of, of people who are smarter at this kind of creating than me. Uh, and I love that. So we are all using our minds to create clever, fun ways to keep, to keep it that way. Um, why was interaction important to you to tell this story? I'm a storyteller. I value people. Like I don't exist without them. 
like the story the storyteller doesn't exist without the, the listener and you know and we need each other i need them you know like and so i value them and and i make room for them to, to be beautiful and to be this and to be seen as well um you know in this show we never set the lights to the house to black <laughs> like because they're there we're all here together in this space you know like in my ideal world you know this I would always do my work in the round and I would see everybody and they would see each other and we would constantly just be, you know, sharing this thing together. Uh, I believe in that, um, you know, it's, that's like a, a Buddhist thing where he says like the thing about an argument is you don't realize you need the other person's argument to feel, to feel valued. You know, it's like to feel, to hold your own argument. You don't realize that you need that person. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you should be thanking them and then continue your argument. <laughs> There's far yeah. too, far too few instances of people thanking each other while arguing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about those arguments. <laughs> well, you know, I think, um, in in the piece, but also in a lot of your other work, and I th I think that that incredible film that you did um, of getting your haircut, the Comb Your Curls film, is um, is incredible. And so in in both both of those, and it sounds like also in in your other work, you're you're looking at racism in this country, um, and at colorism in the industry, um, the arts industry. And I guess, you know, right now, especially, and over the last year, there's been a, a lot of conversation in the arts field about um, making significant change um, and systemic change. And Jiva has been one of the institutions, you know, we've been having a lot of internal conversations about this. Um, and and I, I wonder about, um, you know, People, people are promising to make change going forward. And I just wonder if you have thoughts about, you know, do you think that that will actually come to pass, that things will change, that the industry will change? Yeah, I can't say no to you, right? Like, I can't say... <laughs> can't. It's, maybe it's an unfair question to even ask. You know, like, I can't say no, or else why would I be here i don't know like that it's a it's a it's a wild question to ask you know i have my fair share of pessimism you know i have my fair share of anger i have my you know uh not to make it too dark but there's this very crucial court case happening right now and 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 i'm like if if this man is not you know like the evidence is very clear like every day i read my new york times briefing and i'm like there's another person saying he did the wrong thing like there's another expert saying he did the wrong thing. And if a certain decision isn't made, I'm just kind of like, the f what, you right. know, but, but, uh, I do believe in hope. I believe in belief. I believe in faith. You know, I believe in just doing my part. Um, uh, I, I think things are, are, are changing. They're not going to change. I think they're changing. Uh, I'm very concerned with, uh, or I'm less concerned about people of color receiving opportunities and more with people of color arising to the place where they get to create opportunities for others. Mm. You know, as long as the people signing checks are the same old white men, much will not change. But when the people signing the checks, because it's the check signers that make the decisions, it's not the check receivers, you know? And so when the check signers start to look different, sound different, feel different, come from different communities and backgrounds, then, then we're in a flow, you know? And I know that I can continue to make work and tell stories that help make that happen. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, it is about power. Who holds the power? And the signing of the check is 100%, you know, that's power right there. That's a lot of power. Yeah. Gone a lot of checks. I have not signed many. Yeah. You know, like, yes, yeah. that's, that's a special thing to say. I'm paying these people to do this. Yeah. And absolutely. you don't think about that. Yeah. 
which is how they want it. <laughs> just right. like hang out in the back. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a very different feeling having a diverse group of people choosing a season versus the same white people choosing a season that just happens to have <laughs> BIPOC or those types correct. of stories in them. Instead of just correct. being an artist, how can you be a manager of artists? How can you be somebody who says, you need to be paying attention to this and I have the ability and the financial backing or the authority to support that. It's the same reason why I think, especially in our business, having a diverse board, like it sometimes goes out of the theater too. Who are these patrons that are signing our checks to show up? Who's investing in us? Mm-hmm. And how do we make that <laughs> more supportive? You know, we still live in a world where we're not above this, but you know, currency has weight. You know, even if most of it is electric, currency has weight, it has power, um, and it allows for things to be made and told and created. Um, and and it's, it's an okay thing to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And important to, to continue, not only be aware of, but talk about and change, right? Yeah. 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 Uh- I'm just curious as a company manager, what do you want our Rochester audiences to know before you arrive? And, you know, what do you maybe know about Rochester, if anything? And are you excited? We're excited to have you. I don't know much about Rochester. So, so, you know, if you want to be a tour guide, I'm down. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down to hang. Uh, I've heard great things. Uh, You know, Daniel loves Jiva. So that's my only sort of, connect uh so i'm very excited to be out there uh what do i want my the audience to know you know i want the audience to know um here's my invitation candidly when you come to a theater you you show up i can't guarantee that when you turn on your computer you will have the light to dim you know you will be in an isolated space you will be you know um But my invitation is that should you make that time and that commitment, it will be 100% worth it. Uh, You will will be moved. You will be moved in ways that you didn't expect you'd be moved. Um, Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful invitation. I'm going. I guess I'll go. (laughs) We only have balcony seats available at that performance. I don't have anything downstairs. Is that all right? Out of the Rehearsal Hall is a podcast production of Jiva Theatre Center in Rochester, New York. I'm Jenny Werner. Special thanks to today's co-host, Angela Giuseppetti, and to our guest, Christopher Rivas. We also heard from box office associate, Andy Germuga. Andrew Mark Willem composed our theme song and is our audio engineer. You can find out all about Jiva and the production of The Real James Bond Was Dominican at jivatheater.org. And there's more information about our conversation on Jiva's blog at jivajournal.wordpress.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review for us on your podcast platform and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time we're out of the rehearsal hall.